true biblical prophecy in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is always revelation directly from God. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What demands, if any, does the gospel of Jesus Christ place on those who receive it? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright. And today, Tom begins a new 10-part series titled Gifted to Serve, examining how each believer in Christ is called to a life of loving service, Now, throughout this series, you'll discover that God has gifted every Christian to serve, and it's essential, if you're a believer, that you think accurately about the gift or gifts He has given you, and to use them responsibly and faithfully. And how, if you claim to love Jesus Christ, you will faithfully love His people. But do you love your fellow believers in Christ? And if so, how are you demonstrating that love today? And Tom, loving and serving others well, especially those with whom we may disagree, can be a difficult call to fulfill at times, can't it? It's actually one of the most difficult things that we do because it calls out our hearts to humble ourselves to serve other people. And obviously, as you mentioned, there are often people with whom we don't agree on everything. But we are called together to be a family in the body of Christ. And that means that we are called to serve. Even our Lord set the example. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And in so doing, set that powerful example for each of us. We are here not to be served, but each of us is here to serve others, using the giftedness that we have been given by the Holy Spirit to serve the body of Christ, the local church where we belong. That's the call the Apostle Paul extends in the passage we'll study together. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. Well, I ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me again to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This passage reminds us that God has gifted every individual Christian to serve him in his church. And out of that grows two basic instructions. In verses 3 through 5, we learn that we're to think about our spiritual gift accurately. And then in verses 6 through 8, verses 6 through 8, use your spiritual gift responsibly. Now we're learning that to use that 
gift that we've been given responsibly, we must first of all understand the New Testament spiritual gifts. You must use your giftedness as your primary ministry in the context of the church. Notice verse 6, since we have, res- have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Now, the words in italics there were added by the translators to help us understand the flow of Paul's thought. That's because the phrases that are attached here to all of these gifts imply more than a list. This isn't just a list of spiritual gifts. This is, at its heart, an exhortation to use your giftedness and to use it as your primary ministry in the context of the church. Verse 6 says, if, if you have the gift of prophecy, then use it according to the proportion of your faith. We discovered that true biblical prophecy in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is always revelation directly from God. And so we define prophecy in this way. The New Testament gift of prophecy was an ability to be a channel of direct revelation, primarily in local churches, and of course this was crucial until the completion of the New Testament. The teaching of the New Testament prophets, along with the teaching of the apostles, was the foundation of the church, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. But once the New Testament was complete, there were no more apostles, and there are no more prophets, because God has provided His complete revelation in this book that you hold in your hand. So prophecy then, as we have learned throughout this series, was a temporary, miraculous gift. That brings us to the other six gifts that Paul lists here, and the rest of the six, or the other six, are all permanent, edifying gifts. Now, let me just mention that there are only two other permanent gifts in the New Testament. Both of them are found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. There's evangelism, and there's the gift of pastor-teacher. That means when you put it all together, as we've discovered, there are a total of eight permanent spiritual gifts from which God can sort of blend together an, a unique and individual blending for every believer. Now, let's examine the, the other six, the permanent edifying gifts that are here in Romans chapter 12. And again, let me just mention that the definitions that I will share with you are either taken from or adapted from Robert Thomas's excellent book, Understanding Spiritual Gifts. After prophecy comes, secondly, the gift of service. Service. Notice verse 7. If service, if you have the gift of service, then use it in serving. This word service is from the same root and family of words as the word deacon. Originally, it meant to wait on tables, and it's used that way in Luke chapter 17, verse 8, but eventually it, it came to be much broader than that. The word service became the normal way to describe any service to others that was of a personal nature. In fact, our Lord Himself used this word serve or service to describe His own ministry when He was here on the planet. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, He says, "...the Son of Man came to serve." 
He says, that's what I'm here to do, to serve you like a deacon serves. Uh, that's the point of my ministry. So service then, understandably, became the normal way that Christians came to describe all that they do for other Christians. It's service. But as is true with many of these gifts, although all of us as Christians are, are to serve one another, nobody here is exempt from service. Like our Lord, we're to serve one another. But there are some of us who are uniquely gifted to serve. Those with this gift respond to all kinds of, of temporal or physical needs of people. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 44, this word serving is used to describe several very practical things. For example, it's used to describe feeding the hungry, giving something to drink to the thirsty, showing hospitality to strangers, providing clothing for those who don't have sufficient clothing, visiting the sick, or even visiting those who are in prison for their faith. All of those things are called serving in Matthew 25. So let's define then what this spiritual gift is. The spiritual gift of service, it's also called the gift of helps in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 28, is an ability to know how best to meet people's temporal needs and an unusual skill in meeting those needs. I'm always shocked at how people who have this gift see what needs to be done in very insightful and remarkable ways and just move to do it. It usually happens behind the scenes. I show up to visit a family and, and people with this gift have already been there and they've already served that family in ways that I'm, I marvel at and I'm surprised by. This gift, the gift of service, is evident in the New Testament in several occurrences. For example, it's evident with the seven men who were appointed to oversee the distribution of food to the widows there in the early church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6. The apostles said, it's not good for us to, to desert our primary ministry, which is the, the study of the Word and prayer, in order to serve tables. But that is exactly what these seven men were appointed to do. Not just to serve, but to oversee the service, to oversee the distribution of the service to those widows so that none were neglected. The same thing is true of Dorcas in Acts chapter 9, verse 39. You remember she died, and, and Peter's there. And it says, all the widows stood beside Peter weeping, and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make. Dorcas devoted herself before her untimely death to caring for the, the needs of other people. She served them in very practical ways. Another New Testament character who manifests the gift of service is Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus is found, his story is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, and there Paul describes Onesiphorus' ministry to him while he was in prison. Paul says, he was not ashamed of my chains, but instead in Rome he searched for me and found me, and he took care of me. He cared for me, he served me in very practical ways while I was in prison. And then he says, and you know how he cared for me in Ephesus. Onesiphorus was a man who served the Apostle Paul. Another example is Onesimus. 
In Philemon 13, Paul writes and says to Philemon, I wish to keep him with me so that on your behalf he might minister. Same, same root word. He might deacon me. He might serve me in my imprisonment. And so there are these people who just are able to serve. They know in very practical ways how to meet the needs of others, the temporal and physical needs of others. Today, the gift of service is used in so many practical ways. In fact, I, I almost hesitate to start a list because I'll leave so many out. So don't feel like I intentionally left you out. I just want to give some examples. In our church, those with a gift of service do things like prepare this worship center for us to meet every week. Those who greet, those who usher, those who serve in the nursery, those who serve in the kitchen preparing meals or, or cleaning up, those who provide refreshments, who fix and repair the homes of those in need or, or even the church facilities, those who answer the phones in the church office, those who design and duplicate materials like the church bulletin you picked up this morning, those who handle the landscaping and our audiovisual needs, and on and on and on the list goes. Countless ways those with the gift of service cause the church to function. Thank you. If you have the gift of service and you employ it here, thank you because that's how the church works. But notice what Paul says here. He says, if your gift is service, then serve. He's saying, get busy. Use that gift in the context of the church for the good of the body of Christ. Use serving as your primary ministry in the church. That's what he's saying. The third gift he highlights here is teaching. Verse 7, or he who teaches in his teaching. The gift of teaching is also mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 28 and 29. Teaching in the New Testament sense of a spiritual gift, and don't miss one of these words, they're all important, is an ability to grasp or to understand, to arrange or organize, and to present revealed truth effectively and in an organized manner so those who hear gain an enhanced understanding of Scripture. This can happen either publicly, as I'm doing this morning, and it can happen privately, but teaching is what I'm doing. A teacher has the capacity to understand the truth, then to organize that truth in a clear way, and then to present it to others to enhance their understanding of the truth. This gift, by the way, is required for those who will serve as elders in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says an elder must be able to teach. Why? Because it's so much an important part of his responsibility. It's a, it's a crucial part of his role. That's why in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, Paul says elders must labor at teaching and preaching. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says that elders can be described as pastor teachers, hyphenated, one title. I am, and the elders of this church, we are shepherd teachers. That's our responsibility and our role. Now, why is it that teaching is so important in the church that even the leaders of the church, the elders, have to be able to teach? It's because, listen very carefully, the path to spiritual growth, the path of your spiritual growth is always by growing in your understanding of the truth of Scripture. Now, 
you can grow in your understanding of Scripture and do so purely academically and not grow in your likeness to Jesus Christ. Sadly, that happens often. But you cannot grow in your likeness to Jesus Christ without growing in your understanding of the Scripture. The two go together, and you will not grow more like Christ without a deeper understanding of the truth of God. That's why back in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we, we learn about the renewing of the mind. That's how this process unfolds. This is why teaching, by the way, and the, the doctrine, the body of truth that comes from that teaching was so important in the early church. There are a lot of places we could look, but just turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul's writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy, who's pastoring a little church in Ephesus, and he says to him, I say little, there were several elders, so it wasn't too small, but we don't know exactly the size of it. But he says to him in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he's already said, I'm writing this letter in case I'm delayed so that you'll know how to conduct yourself in the church, in the household of God. And here's at the heart of it what you're to do. Here's your job description, Timothy, verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. What is this gift? What does it relate to? Go back to verse 13. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. You know what Paul tells Timothy and tells all elders, all leaders of the church? Here's what you're supposed to do. Read the text, explain the text, that's teaching, and apply the text, that's exhortation. Read the text, explain the text, apply the text. That's my job. That's what I'm up here to do this morning. Read the text, explain the text, apply the text. And any, any elder, any leader of the church, that's what he should be doing. If you go to a church where that's not happening, then that's not a biblical church. This is what we're to do. Why? Because, notice verse 16, he says, or let's start at verse 15. He says, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Now watch the end of verse 16. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. He says, listen, in the teaching of the Word of God, salvation comes spiritual rescue to those who are not in Christ, and sanctification comes to those who are. So that's why teaching is so important. Teaching and the doctrine that results is the very essence of the Christian faith. That's why the Gospels refer to Christ as a teacher 45 to 50 times. Acts refers to teaching or doctrine some 20 times. The epistles refer to teaching around 60 times. Teaching is at the heart of what the church is to do when it gathers. This teaching, by the way, can be public, as in the little definition I've given you. It can be public. Acts 18.11 says that Paul settled in Corinth for 18 months teaching the Word of God among them. That is, he taught them publicly. He taught the church. But teaching can also happen privately. In Acts 18, 26, we read that Priscilla and Aquila, when they heard Apollos, you remember the story, they took him aside and explained to him privately the way of God more accurately. They taught him the Scripture and how better to understand it in a private context. So teaching can happen publicly. Teaching can happen privately. 
but this is at the heart of what a church is to do. Robert Thomas writes, efforts to impart the essence of biblical thought, otherwise known as Christian doctrine, should permeate everything a local church does. Teaching is a crucial gift to the life of the church. There are those here in our church who have the gift of teaching. There are those who do so. Obviously, all of our elders are able to teach, gifted to teach. That's a requirement for an elder. Then, as you come down, there are others across this auditorium and across our church who have the gift of teaching. From the very youngest children all the way up to our adults, there are those who are gifted to understand, to organize with clarity, and present the truth in a way that causes the growth of others in their knowledge of God and His Word. I'm grateful for that. The fourth spiritual gift listed back in our text in Romans chapter 12 is the gift of exhortation. Verse 8, he who exhorts in his exhortation. The Greek word here in its family of words occurs 107 times in the New Testament. It's translated with words like urge, comfort, entreat, implore, console, so it's a broad word with a number of different meanings, but here the, the clear intention is this idea of exhortation. Now, what is the difference between teaching and exhortation? Well, the primary purpose of teaching is to instruct the mind. The primary purpose of exhortation is to persuade the will to obey. Now, these two gifts often come together in in combination with each other, because all good teaching includes some exhortation, and all exhortation includes some instruction. So they tend to, to come together as a package, but with a different emphasis depending on what your primary gifts are. Let me give you a, a definition of exhortation. It is simply an ability to explain and apply the truth to believers, and here's the key word, persuade them to believe and obey it. This is exhortation. Yes, there is some instruction involved, but primarily it's an appeal to the will, helping them to apply that, urging them to apply it and to put it into practice in their lives. Now, I hesitate to do this because I'll leave something out, but I just want to give you a sketch of what exhortation is trying to do. Exhortation is primarily trying to persuade someone to think biblically about an issue. Titus 1.9, exhort others in sound doctrine. That is, get them to think biblically. Exhortation is also trying to persuade someone to, to grow, to be strengthened in their faith, 1 Thessalonians 3.2. Exhortation is trying to persuade someone to make for something that is not in Scripture to make a biblically wise or something that is in Scripture a morally right choice. And then it's also trying to persuade someone to find comfort and assurance in God and the Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, this word is used and translated comfort. We comfort others with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. We persuade them to find their comfort in God and who He is and His sovereign power over all things. Now, this gift of exhortation appealing to the will must be accompanied by the reading or reciting and the explanation of Scripture, as we just saw in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
In fact, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. Let me show you an example from the ministry of the Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is here recounting his ministry among those in Thessalonica, and he says in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 2, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. And he he talks about his coming. And then he talks about his ministry in verse 3. And he describes his ministry among them as exhortation. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series, Gifted to Serve. Tom will bring you part two on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.